Hi there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian, he's been living here in Japan for over two decades now, and for about half of that time he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just wanna have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, uh, this is an audio recording of a conversation with a new investor who's considering his first market entry into Japan. The audio quality is a bit lower than what you're probably used to, but I really like this call because this gentleman has some very on-point questions related to macroeconomic issues, uh, market fundamentals, COVID-related market trends, and a whole lot on deal analysis, best practices, so how to choose the right locations, portfolio structuring, diversity, and the issues with older buildings, whether it's maintenance, depreciation, developer buyouts, what have you, and also a bit about general market statistics, what they look like, where we can find the most comprehensive information about them in English, and much more. So a really great um, bird's eye view of the current market here, but also the occasional deep dive into tactics and best practices. I hope you enjoy the chat and I'll see you again on the other side. Yep, go for it. Okay, so I, I guess the, the, going back to the question that I asked um, last time uh, through email. Um, yeah, I just wanted to know your thoughts on the recent trends in, in, in property um, prices and and what 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 it is that uh, investors are looking for now that COVID is is kind of metering out, petering out. Um, yeah, or does it remain the same that generally the population issue uh, it, and demographics is such that uh, people are now still hoping to live by themselves rather than in in big in big apartments. Yes, so we haven't seen a huge... I mean, there was a bit of a locational shift out of major city centers. Um, but that's now almost completely petered off. And also, the vast majority of the people, um, the, at least the, the tenants that we normally get for properties, the vast majority of them can't... They don't really have the option to relocate. Um, so entry-level salarymen or factory workers, single moms. I mean, it'd been, it's usually the self-employed or high-level executives that even have the option to consider living elsewhere. 
So there hasn't been a huge change in that respect. When people buy properties these days, so if, for example, a, a family is getting their first mortgage and they're looking at their first property, um, they are looking at potentially a bigger property to allow for a home office because a lot of the um, a lot of the companies have relegated some of their staff to work from home at least part of the week. Right. Um, but that's again the the tenant base that we're dealing with for the cash flow for the high yield income properties. Um, they're not people who would be working from home in most cases. And right. ja Japan being Japan, the vast majority of them are either singles or couples without children or maybe with a single um, small child. Um, so not really much has changed from uh, as far as the kind of property they're looking for is concerned. I see. I see. And price-wise, um, same trends that we've seen pre-COVID are now kind of back in the market. So central Tokyo, central Osaka, um, central Fukuoka continue to rise sharply. Fukuoka still has a lot of room to grow. Tokyo and Osaka are now at um, 1990 bubble levels. Oh, right. saturated. Yeah, um, but the um, salaries, yeah. salaries and cost of living are now at about half what they were pre nineteen nineties. So I'm not sure how much this, how big, how how high the ceiling is. Yes, yes. Um, but otherwise, yeah, major metropolitan centers tend to slowly rise in value. Fukuoka, Tokyo, Osaka rise a bit more rapidly. Um, Nagoya was rising a lot more rapidly before COVID. That's now taken a dump. So it's now back to 2012 prices. So very cheap properties in Nagoya at the oh, moment. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Is that a place where you're directing invested towards maybe Nagoya? It's one, of, place it's one of the places. The, the problem, not really a problem, but the, the caveat with Nagoya is that it's very much a blue collar market. So the tenants are still Japanese in the sense that there's not going to be drug labs or ghettos or what have you. But when we do have tenant payment issues or high turnover and tenants and so forth, Nagoya tends to have a little bit more of that than other places. Right, right. Um, would you say, sorry, Sid, would you, because the property that I saw recently uh, in my email inbox, yeah. the one in Osaka, the three-bedroom one, uh, would you say the trends are also the s similar to Nagoya there, that the prices have kind of dumped a little? Uh, In Osaka, not not that much. No, no. Not, not they they're much. not they haven't gone up as sharply as Tokyo, but not not mm. that much. No, it's pretty much the same right. still. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it surprised me with it being a three bedroom rather than a one bedroom that the yield seemed. Um, obviously pre-tax but it seemed quite um, attractive quite high was that in three bedroom was that in Osaka or in Kobe do you remember the property I thought it was Osaka do you remember the property uh, ID do you have it in front of you uh, I, uh, I can uh, yeah I can it's just recently I got that message let's have a look that would have been oh I think it's uh, here we go so it's nine hyphen double R zero zero one Nine double R zero zero one. Nine double R zero zero one is Kobe. Oh, was it? Oh, I'm sorry, I got that. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. That's the only family-sized property oh. that I remember. Yeah, so Kobe is a little bit cheaper than Osaka. Right. 
Um, so there you can still find, and also this is um, Kita Ward. It's the north suburb of the city. It's a very quiet, leafy. I mean, it's a popular residential area, but it's not central Kobe at all. Um, so that over there, that does make sense. Yeah, if it was a bit more central or if it was Osaka, I don't think it would have been this cheap. Right, I see. Yeah. yeah. So it did mention you would never have problems with finding new tenants should the previous tenant. I think I think that was another property that we're talking about. I'm not sure. Oh, was, so there was, was yeah, there was the Osaka property nine R I zero zero one. Um, uh, that was a very central Osaka location. Oh, that, yeah. No tenant worries, but that's that's a 1K. It's 18 square meters. It's not a family-sized oh, one. Oh, was it? Right, right. Yeah. I see, I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But if you're confused, it might be that Natalia has actually um, mixed them up. Let me have a quick look at her last email because that's um, just... Sure good input for me to make sure that we're not confusing anybody else let me have a quick look um 7wp7ln9rr oh you're right so yes yes she used the uh the wrong property id apologies for that okay i'll make sure it did surprise me a bit but uh now it makes sense yes yes yeah, but still, with the yield being six for the one k, is it one k in Osaka? So the yield on the one k in Osaka is yeah four point five, which is more what you'd expect from Osaka. The nine RR was six point three, and um, family size, but that was in Kobe. So I think she must have just she grabbed the uh, wrong description of the property. I think when she oh, uh, composed okay. that email. Apologies for that. Not, not to worry, yeah, yeah. So, given these two properties, um, yeah, how, how does an investor decide? I mean, it's, it, it, I, I guess the one she was talking about where you would never have problems finding a tenant, it would be the one in Osaka. Central because Osaka, yeah. Very, that's very central, isn't it? Yes. But, uh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be, still be interesting, I guess. Uh, as I mentioned in my email, I, I, I'm expecting some funds um, coming through from the withdrawal of my pension uh, from Hong Kong, and uh, okay. just trying to find a way way to deploy it really uh, in times like these where everything is going up in price. Up. Although having said that, in Japan it's not so much the case, is it, compared to elsewhere? Well, I mean, the locations that are going up in price are locations that we usually would not point clients to unless they happen to be at the bottom of some sort of cycle. So central Tokyo, central Osaka, I've always offered um, far lower yields than other places. Yes. We'd normally, so it's rare that we see like that 9RI, not RR, that 9RI property is actually um, quite rare at this price level and this yield. So central Osaka 4.5 is um, a bit rarer. Than another location, than other most of the properties around that area. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. 
They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know. They're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I would probably... Do you have a rough idea of what the, what the amount that you want to invest is? Um, yeah, we're looking at around... It's including, because I have to consider the purchase costs and, 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 and commission and all that. So um, look at around 10 to 11 million at most, maybe. Okay, so yeah. I mean, you could potentially put it into two properties to give yourself a bit of diversity. Um, again, not, I mean, like this Osaka one, for example, was 5.4 million. Um, but that's before purchase costs. So if you get two of oh, those, okay. you might be stretching it a little bit, maybe more like 12, 13 million. Yeah, I mean, I could add a little bit more on top yeah. of that, yeah. That but, would uh, give you just, just a bit more diversity. It's always better sure. to have two income streams. Is, is it always better to have two, right? Be yeah, I, mean, I mean, beyond a certain point, if your b entire budget, for example, is 8 million, then, you know, mm. two, three, three and a half million yen properties are probably not the best property profiles. But as long as you breach that, let's say, 5 million yen mark, then yes, it might be a good idea to diversify a little bit if you can. Okay, and this is irrespective of whether it's in, say, Kumamoto or Fukuoka, would that be realistic to, to deploy? Well, the, to the reason I'm mentioning that 5 million yen mark is because that opens up most of the cities, maybe not Tokyo, but otherwise it opens oh. up most of the cities. So, all of the um, major metro centers in Japan, except Tokyo, would usually have available properties at this price level. So it enables you to purchase, for example, one more central higher yield and maybe another smaller one in a, like a prefectural capital like Kumamoto or two, if you're not super concerned about yield and you prefer to get more stability, then maybe two central metro properties. Um, slightly smaller, slightly older building, but still 
I mean, having two income streams if a tenant moves out is always a good idea, right? Yes, yes, of course, yeah. Um, so that, so I'm quite clear, so thank you. I'm, I'm quite clear about, um, yeah, the, the situation from what you've, you've mentioned. Yeah. I did have some questions. I mean, I've, I've invested in Bookwalker properties for the last six years, um, and I've always got this thing in the back of my mind that when you're buying properties that are over 30 years, there must come a time when eventually that building needs to be put down. What happens after that? I, I always wondered what, what would happen um, if the building had to be put well, down because of the age. And to, to preface that, we would probably not recommend to go for anything older than 30 years unless it's a very, very compelling deal. Um, that's usually the limit that we advise, but not because the building is going to be teared down, but because the building expenses and the maintenance required and the frequency of renovations, they all tend to rise um, more rapidly after about 30 years of age. Yes. And also the building just becomes a little bit less attractive to tenants. So if there's a new development being built in an area and there's a bunch of these older properties, it's there's a a lot more supply than demand and it kind of becomes a race to the bottom where all landlords are competing with who's going to offer the lowest rent and get the tenant fastest because tenants i mean if they can pay an extra ichiman yen per month they'll just go for a new apartment right so we would probably avoid that and also developers would start sniffing around the building as it gets closer to 40 years um, but demolishing is not something that we've ever, ever had an issue. The building needs to be a lot older than that to be considered. And most of our customers would be reselling them as they approach 40 years of age. Um, so, I mean, look, if, if you buy it, let's say at 30, you can still get a good five, six years um, rental income out of it before you need to start considering reselling it again. Uh, so it's not the worst idea, but that would probably be the limit that we would advise. I wouldn't go older than that. Right. Unless there's, you have some specific reason, like some people prefer older for tax depreciation purposes or whatnot. Yeah. Depends on uh, your earnings and tax uh, otherwise. Yes, yes. That, that, that did make me wonder that those people that, that, that will consider selling around the 36, 37-year mark, I mean, they're not going to expect much in terms of return on the original investment? Um, yeah, but it depends on how long they've held the property before then. Yeah. So if you sell it even close to the purchase price and you've had, let's say, I don't know, six, seven years of income, then you've already gained about 50% of the purchase price in rental income. And then if you're selling it close to 100%, then you know, you've made some, you made some good good money over that period of time. But if you purchased it um, two years before you're trying to resell it and you're reselling for the same price, then not that much yet. So, uh, although you've not, I guess, Nippon Tradings haven't had to face this situation where they tear down a building. No. Uh, no. Ultimately, if I did hold on for like 50 or 60 years and I get a notice through the, through the letterbox, what, what would that notice likely? Um, it's say? not... It's not likely to happen because developers will buy you out far before that. So when a building reaches 40 years of age, if it's in any kind of attractive location, um, developers will start making offers to the owner union and they'll vote and they'll push and they'll sometimes offer little bribes to the owner union chief. 
and then eventually they'll convince the 80% that they need to sell. So you're probably not going to run into that. If you own the entire building and you just refuse to sell and you hold on to it, then if it you know becomes unsafe at some point, you'll probably want to tear it down yourself. But with Strata owner union type um, buildings, we haven't seen that happen at all. We've got some buildings who are as old. I mean, our customers have got some buildings that are as old as 48, maybe getting close to 50 years. Um, but they're in such a good location and they're such big 200 unit kind of concrete monsters that everyone's everyone's got an interest to keep them going for as long as possible. So they renovate them yeah. very well. They, they're in very, very good shape. So okay, I don't see that intense. being as an issue, an issue yeah, unless sure. you own the entire structure yourself. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, well, Ziv, I'm not sure how much time I've got left, but uh, I guess my I do have one final question. I think. Go for it. Yeah, I think you've answered it actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was one other one. The uh, where where can foreigners access real estate trends in Japan? Um, the, best, the best source that I know in English, and they, they also publish it in Japanese, of course, is uh, Mitsui Fudo-san's annual statistics. Oh. Um, let me find, I'll find a link for you. Give me a sec. Thanks. Do you prefer English or Japanese? Uh, actually, either would be fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my wife speaks Japanese. Report. No. Annual real estate statistics. Oh, there we go. Volume forty-four. They've been at it for a while. Oh. An annual. Yeah. Release of statistics. Yeah. There it is. I just sent it to you in the chat box. Oh, thank you. Pleasure. Uh, and, and and so going forward, I, I guess um, I would contemplate investing in Fukuoka again. Yep. I've chosen that area because my other properties are in Fukuoka and I thought it just makes it easier in terms of paying taxes on the income because everything is being paid at Fukuoka's, I can't remember what office, tax office. Um, is that, is that normally what people do? They tend to focus on one area or do you have um, No, actually our, our clients actually tend to diversify if they can. We do have a few clients who are just oh. in love with a particular city, so they tend to buy there. But most of them okay. try to diversify a bit more just socioeconomically and geographically. Um, and also each of the ward offices has their own tax department. So depending, depending on where your properties are, you are going to potentially get um, a few tax statements. But I mean, that, that shouldn't be a reason to focus on a particular city just for what, for ease of paying tax. Um, yeah, because that, that's the way it would be uh, where I come from originally from in England, right? Where, where your property side doesn't make any difference. But I, I've just arrived in uh, Japan recently, Tokyo, and uh, I was told that uh, you know when when I'm filling out my taxes next February or January February, yeah. um, they they have to consider where your incomes are coming from. So you have your salary income, your normal from your job, and then 
Yeah, but that's the uh, that's the nation, national revenue tax, the income tax department, and they're national. They don't care which. I mean, they, they care because they want to know where the properties are located, but they don't. They, they process it all in bulk. They don't care about that. And the property tax, the property tax statement does come from the local ward office, but that's just a statement that you take to the convenient. You pay for each property or for a bunch of properties if they're in the same ward. So I, I wouldn't say that's any consideration. If you if you like Fukuoka, by all means buy in Fukuoka, but otherwise you can don't be shy to diversify. Okay, sure, yeah. sure. Okay, well, was well, if you happen to know of any 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 just like similar to the deals that you've been sending out or your company's been sending out, yeah, I'd be interested. Um, yep. Well, primarily yeah. Fukuoka, but even even Nagoya, as you were saying, the prices have have dumped a little, so. I'd be interested for sure. Yeah, oh, you're on our mailing list. You'll definitely get them. And if you want anything specific to a location or anything more um, unique in criteria, don't be shy to reply to one of those emails and just let Natalia know. She'll run some researches for you. Yes, thank you. My thank pleasure. You. Great speaking with you. <laughs> it's really good speaking with you too. Yes. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Zip. Appreciate pleasure. all the work that you do. Anytime. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. Yeah, bye. So there you have it, a good in-depth conversation on all things big and small related to property investment in the land of the rising sun. Hope you found some value in it. Now, before we go, we're also as always going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time, and until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!